Rebecca and Jerry are now midway through their winter quarter of online sessions at Cold Wax Academy, where, as always, members have access to in-depth and varied content for learning and growth. Upcoming sessions include a presentation by guest author Sean McNiff, tips on photographing your artwork, a painting clinic for works in progress, and the final critique session of this quarter, with a special focus on composition. As a member, you can also access the private Facebook page and the community there of informed and supportive artists who post paintings, ask questions, and initiate discussions. It's never too late to join Cold Wax Academy. All live sessions are recorded, and there are now nearly 100 previous sessions in the member library. Please visit coldwaxacademy.com for more information, as well as basic information about using Cold Wax Medium. That's coldwaxacademy.com. That's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about our need to be seen. A basic human desire is to truly be seen, to be understood by other people, to be acknowledged, appreciated, and accepted for who you are. As an artist, you have a literal way of being seen, of communicating who you are in a visual way. The hope that people will be able to connect with you through your work is a basic motivation for making art. Today, we'll talk about the desire to be seen and understood by the people who view your work. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So I was thinking about that kind of really sincere and heartfelt desire that we feel as people uh, to communicate and to express things that we feel deeply. And, you know, as artists, extending that to especially the people that that view our work, um, that desire to engage them and just show them what is meaningful, what moves you. And so to be seen here is not in the sense of, you know, displaying or hanging your work necessarily, but um, that's part of it. But in the sense of that personal um, connection and, you know, some there is some uh, a strong part of making art that is just for yourself. I mean, um, that's a that's a motivation, too. But most artists do want to share it on, on some level, whether or not they are officially exhibiting or anything, but they want to they want to share it. And I was thinking <laughs> that this experience, when you think about it, goes way back from the time that you're very little and you bring your drawings and your things that you've made to your parents and it's like, look what I made, you know, and and then you get some kind of response back and you either get a supportive response um, to from your parent or maybe it's your teacher or you might get feeling a little bit dismissed like adults will say well what's that supposed to be <laughs> you know instead of oh wow let's talk about this what did you make you know opening up conversation kind of open-endedly um, because uh you know, if you if you say right away, well, basically convey to the child, I don't get this at all, 
um, the child feels like they failed at that communication on some level. They wouldn't probably have words to express that, but it's kind of a dismissal, really. So kids, some kids learn really early on, and, and our listeners may have learned early on, that there are rules you can follow in order to communicate. Um, so how to draw a tree or a person or a house so that the viewer understands what it is. So you have, um, you know, you have a lollipop tree and the square house with the triangle roof and the, the stick figure and, um, you know, those, those little V-shaped birds that kids draw <laughs> in the sky. Um, they, they're sort of symbols and, and kids learn the symbols for these things um, to communicate. Yes, and then they have to unlearn them. They have to unlearn them. Yeah. And what what happens, you know, for a lot of kids is that's sort of where it stops. I mean, they say, oh, this this works. Let's just uh, do this. And then maybe gradually um, lose that desire to, to invent their own ways of communicating. And it, it sort of creates this split between what the child or the young person, for anyone who's listening, who wanted to communicate something and was misunderstood, it starts to create a split between that desire and um, how other people how other people see what you do. So that's a pretty uh, ingrained and old response um, that most people, I would say, probably have gone through on some level. Um, even if they had appreciative parents, there were other people in their lives that maybe didn't get their drawings. And so... That desire to create art, though, I, I think that it is more than just a desire to communicate. I mean, it's... So, like, if you if you were on a desert island and mm -hmm. you knew that you were going to be stuck there for the rest of your life and that nobody would ever see any of your artwork, I'm pretty sure you'd still make art. <laughs> That's so true. And, I mean, it's been shown by people who have been in isolated situations that they do make art. And I, I agree, you know, that's there, but it's just kind of, there's a flip side to it. There's something, I think there's something energizing and focusing about the idea that people will see your work. And um, as an artist, it's kind of interesting when you're both inside the work and you're outside of the work. So when you're inside of it, it's that, that really primal desire that you're talking about to create stuff, um, stepping back a little bit outside it, seeing it as other people might see it, um, it gives you a broader perspective, I think. Uh, and to me, at least, it is energizing to to know that somebody's going to see it. Well, yeah, and and human beings are social creatures, and and we crave reinforcement. We crave we crave positive reinforcement. So, I mean, I, I'm sure that that's why kids revert to symbols is because that's what's being reinforced. <laughs> exactly. So, oh, I see what you made. You made a tree. <laughs> right. And so, if we if we make art and we never show it to anyone, we never get that that positive reinforcement that maybe is kind of necessary for us to continue. Or at least, or at least to grow and to expand and to do different things and and right. to to push the limits of your art, right? Because it is that back and forth communication, and there. So you know, we're talking here just about you know nonverbal communication, and I was thinking about how kind of really kind of magic that is uh, when you can communicate through visual language alone, and because it's nonverbal. 
um, there's going to be aspects of it that are very open to interpretation. <laughs> like you're not going to be able to be really precise or really dictate um, what somebody is getting from it. And, and it's the same with other art forms like music and, and poetry and so on. The person receiving what you've created makes their own connections and engages in their own way. And so, you know, you bring imagination to your work. The person looking at it has a part also with their imagination. So I just think that's a an exciting um, thing to contemplate that you're sort of across uh, across a distance in which no words are exchanged. There is... Um, uh, something going out and something being received and something going back. The viewer responds to the work. They may respond to you if you happen to be there, or they may not have words to respond to you because because it is nonverbal. And, um, you know, we, we, we go into making art knowing that this communication is not as direct as if we're talking or writing about something. And so knowing we need different kinds of skills for this kind of um, communication. I mean, we need the the skills to do this so that whatever it is that's behind the work is received, not precisely, but in, in the realm of what we're aiming for, whether it's a, a feeling or a thought, um, maybe a memory of a place. Um, the person who's looking at it is, is getting at least a hint of that um so I feel like if you're if you're coming as an artist, you're coming from somewhere that's sincere and honest and personal, um that's that's when that communication is really open. And if you're not coming from that place, you may get the response of, you know, like we were talking about the teacher with the kids drawing and they recognize a house or a tree. You may get that kind of thing. Oh, I see what you're doing. But if you didn't um, create the work from a personal place that meant something to you, well, that kind of response can fall a little bit flat. You know, it's like you are trying very hard to get somebody to see something in a certain way, but it, it may not really be um, something that means anything to you. So you're not really being you. You're just trying to please somebody. And um, it's kind of like, it's it's a more transactional interaction. Like, I have pleased you by making this nice landscape and so on, but maybe that's not really what's in you. And if you're, if you're doing that habitually, that's where your art is coming from. It's a sort of a one-sided communication. You just want to please your audience. I think that's pretty hard. I think that's pretty uh, defeating for an artist in the long run. Yeah. And it's interesting how um, that who that audience is. There's there's a, a massive difference between when we're in school or when we're young and and when we kind of enter, I, I don't want to call it the workforce or the industry, but you know, the, <laughs> the, the big world, wide world of art. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. when we're growing up, it's it's like we're making art for our parents you know, to show to our parents, to communicate with our parents. And then mm -hmm. when we enter school, uh, you know, for the most part, the, the person who's giving us that that reinforcement or that feedback is a teacher. So you're really, you're making art to be seen by a teacher or by this, by an authority of some sort, mm -hmm. you know. And, and when you get out into the world, I'm not sure that you even 
that most artists at least even have like a concept of of who exactly is this for you know is this Mm -hmm. am i creating this just for kind of myself and the 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 viewer is almost incidental or do i have i mean in marketing if you're if you're designing a product or or branding for a product and i know that we cringe at those words in the in the in the art world but uh, you're you, typically you you have a uh, a a customer in mind and a lot of times you'll you'll draw up a profile of that customer you'll imagine every detail you possibly can about that customer you know uh, mm-hmm. what kind of vehicle does this person drive what you know how old are they what's their gender or their sex you know how, what's their uh, political affiliation you know what's their uh you know you, you you a lot of times you drop a profile and you write down everything you possibly can about this this person who's a, a completely you know fictitious person you know? <laughs> and but, this is this is marketing a a product that you're putting on. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and I and I'm, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily useful to go that far with art, but it's. I think it is a useful exercise to kind of think, who is it that's going to see my art? Who is it that's going to buy my art? Uh, because that's something <laughs> yeah. that maybe we lose track of. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you, you just pointed out kind of the downsides of creating art for a specific person, but there are advantages to it as well. Well, it's funny because I remember talking about this in a podcast quite a, quite a while ago, and we were talking about this kind of imaginary viewer of the work. Who is that? And that when I thought about who is my imaginary viewer, and I was sort of doing the things you said, like, you know, sort of age or different characteristics, I realized it was myself. <laughs> so, so I think if you're imagining that your viewer is some version of yourself um that's kind of that's kind of interesting in terms of communication since this idea of of art being very personal and coming from yourself that it's kind of okay to i think it's very okay to be in touch with um the aspects of yourself that you might hope somebody would bring to the work as a viewer um, I, I don't mean that it should be restrictive and narrow to, you know, your clone or something. But when I was thinking about it, it was somebody who's, you know, sensitive to detail and color and, you know, sort of loves nature and things like that. And uh, and that was interesting. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think you want to make art for for a viewer that you would imagine is very different from yourself because in that case... I don't think you would be um, as able to communicate since we're talking about like how how can I be seen as an artist? Um, I think I can be seen as an artist by being myself <laughs> and and hoping that in in the wide world of people uh, looking at art that there are enough people in who are that much like me that can connect with what I'm what I'm doing, and also totally accepting that there's a lot of people that won't connect with it. And that's that's important in art, too. I think it's, uh, it's a downfall to think that you have to do something that's pleasing to everyone. And, you know, this, this whole idea about um, communication and the desire to communicate can lead artists into not doing what they think, what they feel they really want to do. And an example of that really big, broad example is abstraction. 
and you know, I've talked to a lot of people, worked with a lot of people in workshops who are very drawn to abstraction, very interested in it, but have had success with a more realistic style and don't think abstraction is going to be acceptable. <laughs> and so if you really follow that and you say, I'm not going to do it because I don't think people will understand it, I think that's really closing a door that's in the end going to make you less motivated or less focused. Let's take a break to talk about what deals are available from Blick. Utrecht Artists Imperfect Oil Paint Tubes and Cans are 52 to 70% off list price. Blick is clearing out imperfect tubes and cans of Utrecht Artist Oil Paints. This is your chance to stock up on these professional quality oil paints at incredible sale prices. Limited quantities are available while supplies last. To take advantage of that offer, please remember to use our affiliate link, which is, of course, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, B-L-I-C-K. Using that affiliate link is incredibly important to us, and it costs you nothing at all. It takes you straight through to the regular Blick website, but when you use our affiliate link, Blick will donate a very generous 10% to the Messy Studio Podcast. So please remember to bookmark that link, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, and take advantage of this chance to get your Utrecht Artist's imperfect oil paint tubes and cans at an incredible discount of 52 to 70% off list price. Once again, that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, B-L-I-C-K. All right, let's get back into it. So this whole idea of communicating with people, um, you really do need certain skills and and understanding in order to make your work accessible to people uh, in that way. And we often put it, we phrase it like, is this piece of art working? Like that word working. And I, to me, that means, if I ask myself, is this painting working? It means... Can somebody else see it in the way, in a way that is close to the way that I see it? And the way that that might happen is that it has a certain unity or cohesive quality. It has a certain um, intention behind it. It has a structure. And so, and, you know, and bringing all, all the self-critique skills into play, you know, is the color uh, working? Is it disjointed feeling? Is it too rough looking? Whatever it is for your own work um, to to do that self-critiquing. And, and in that, we're really the basic idea is you're, gu- you're trying to guide whoever's going to look at your work, this unseen, unknown viewer. You're trying to guide them into this general general range of what you're feeling, what you're expressing. Um, and so... <laughs> But it is nonverbal, you know, and and so it's this kind of crazy realm of you're putting something nonverbal out there. You, the the response is likely, very likely to be nonverbal. Either you're never going to know who's looking at it or um, even if somebody's at your opening or in your studio, a lot of times the person looking at it fumbles for words they really they just don't know quite how to put it into words and and that's that's really quite okay i mean that's that's accepting the idea that it's it is hard to have a language about this it's helpful in a classroom like a workshop with a teacher with a mentor you know you need some of that art language to communicate but 
a lot of people who look at your work do not have that. And, you know, maybe they have a expression on their face or say something, but you really don't know. And, and sometimes there's a big, long silence, you know, <laughs> which can be a little disconcerting. Yeah, and I, I think that maybe... Um when you're creating art for somebody who's like you, there's maybe there's an expectation of uh, a certain kind of base level of understanding of the work. Um, mm. And uh, it might be an interesting exercise to, you know, to try to um, maybe broaden your appeal or your reach by, by creating artwork uh, with the intention that it would be viewed by, like, maybe somebody really specific Mm-hmm. Who who you really care about and love, and who you want to love this art, but somebody who isn't you. So so maybe, you know, creating artwork, uh, thinking I, even if it's intended to be for sale, you know, uh, out on the market, saying this is this is really it's it's something that I'm making for my spouse, you know, or for uh you know a relative or a friend, somebody mm-hmm. who's close to you. But maybe, you know, having that that thought in mind of like if if I was going to make a painting for, you know, so and so, you know. Oh, yeah, that's kind of it... interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a shift in your it, I think it's it expands you a little bit um, and, and could be, you know, talk a lot about, you know, having some intentions for the work. It could be part of your intention that. um yeah, just to to think about uh, what that person appreciates and and try to bring some of those qualities. That's that's an it could almost be like a series or something, you know, paintings for different people in your life. And right. even if they don't end up with a painting, it's kind of the thought behind it is that's interesting. It's almost like a portraiture or something, you know, when you uh, create portraits, you're trying to tap into the person's. Um, personality characteristics yeah. yeah capture something of their essence not not just uh like a photograph of them you know but capture something a little bit a little bit deeper a little bit more right um and yeah i think i think the idea of this kind of um things that go on that you don't necessarily the other person doesn't necessarily know that are behind the work um you know they can provide those that guide that guideline, that kind of way into the work for the artist um, that, again, does not have to be articulated uh, as much as uh, as focused and felt <laughs> uh, going into, into a piece or into a body of work. And there's something about this nonverbal level that we operate on that I feel like it bypasses certain things that can get in your way certainly bypasses uh, overthinking if you're if you're on a a nonverbal level with kind of moving into your work um and it it kind of i think it gets you in touch with things that are well feelings gut reactions uh, memories associations that you might have um and i also i really like the fact that nonverbal communication can cross a lot of barriers that we may feel with other people in person um, that we're set up for by our social structure or whatever it is, things like age, um, geography. I mean, you know, your work can go out and go anywhere in the world. Um, Any kind of social barrier that you may perceive, 
your social status, anything like that. There's so many things that can divide people. But I just, I really like the fact that that visual communication can really transcend all that. And, and it just, it just goes straight, straight to the eyes, straight to the heart, straight to the brain. Um, people engage with it. And, and so that knowing that that is possible with visual art is, is really, um, you know, it's exciting. It's motivating. Yeah, definitely. It's I there's art crosses so many boundaries and we see that so much with um how artists become uh successful. <laughs> you know, like there mm-hmm. there are times it's it's one of those areas where somebody who's uh maybe of like very very low kind of socioeconomic status can create a product that and I, there I go using that word product again that we that we hate, but, but <laughs> we forgive some, you, Ross. <laughs> yeah, but it can create something that is it becomes um, you know very appealing to people who are completely outside of yeah. the world that they grew up in or that they that they live in, um, and it's it's a it's amazing how art can can uh, yeah. transcend those barriers and just open doors for people to engage with art with their own imaginations and their own responses that's it's very moving i mean and and visual art isn't the only art that does that but that's i guess that's what i know about um it is it's just uh it's why we need i think that's why we need to have creative uh output in our lives and 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 receive it as well as um as uh produce it um but it's also, you know, it's very hard. And I think we we often talk about all the issues involved in, in creating work and the, the difficulties and the juggling acts and all those things. You can have that strong desire, but it's it can be one of the hardest things that you're going to try to do. And you can go through these times where you feel like, uh, this is not working. Like, people are not seeing what I'm doing. But... I guess taking a moment to realize that you're engaging in something that's very difficult, but also really important. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing about it that's easy, but it's uh, it's so. I feel like it really is is an important part of of our world, of our society. Um, yeah, and, and time and place can be have such a big impact on that too. You know, a lot of times. Um, art art doesn't really become appreciated until decades after it's produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's often uh, ahead of its time in a way. It's ahead of a way of perceiving the world that maybe isn't widely understood or accepted. Um, and artists do struggle with with that lack of appreciation, with that lack of people saying, "Oh, I get it. I see what you're doing." That is hard, you know. And I guess just understanding that everybody sees differently and you, you know, kind of paying attention to what you're basic. If you have those feelings, what are you basing those feelings on? Is it, is it people right around you that are saying, uh, you know, something like, why do you do this abstract stuff? You know, why don't you just paint a nice landscape or is it, is it a wider world? You know, but it's, um, I don't know. I, we've talked before about being aware of just everybody's coming as as magical as it can be, everybody's coming at it, this visual communication from a different place. And so for some people, the doors are closed. They're not going to look at what you do, even if it's very well done and very sincere. 
um, they're just not open to it. And I, I think it is really important to, to understand that. Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, I, like I just mentioned, it's, uh, sometimes things are not appreciated in, in the time or the place where they're produced. I I think it's important to remember that your artwork might be viewed, uh, you know, regardless of, of it, I mean, it may be very successful now and be viewed by a lot of people, but it, it may be even appreciated hundreds or thousands of years from now. Yeah, that's uh, quite a thought too. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, yeah, well, there's yeah. cave paintings and things that I'm sure that whoever put that handprint or you know drew a little figure onto a, a cave wall with with raw pigment, I, I I'm sure that they never thought people you know thousands of years from now are going to be looking at this. Yeah, that's that's another one of the barriers that art crosses is is time. Time. Yeah. And it's I mean to imagine that when that you have painted something that even, you know, maybe it's easier to imagine a hundred years from now, somebody will get to look at, somebody will look at it and get something of what you put into it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very motivating really. I mean, that, that really feels important. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Just that, I'm, I'm just, I think it's been fun to just kind of contemplate this ability that, we as artists have to connect with other people and beyond our immediate circle, our friends or family, but with total strangers in this purely visual way and that we have the ability to make visible some something, some things that we feel are important and, and move us and are meaningful and part of the way that we see the world. Um, and and also that the more you, you can tap into that uh, personal side of your work the more meaningful it is and more satisfying because there's a whole aspect of art that is it is not it's nothing that's practical i mean it's it's not about commerce or decor or you know those kind of functions um it does have those functions sometimes but it's more it's more to me this in the realm of this basic human need to connect and to be seen all right well that just about wraps up this episode of the messy studio for more from the messy studio please go to messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list you can also find the messy studio on facebook as well as rebecca's public profile page for more from rebecca kroll check out rebeccacroll.com and cold wax academy at coldwaxacademy.com be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events book signings and openings for more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out rosstickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.